Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Dynamite, but also the Red Pig Baby, Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT Dupite. Oh! Maybe we use premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a video quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite and the start, Michael Sidgwick, of the reign of terror. <laughs> Shut up, man. This, at its best, episode of Dynamite was so goddamn good that I'm worried I'm going to miss something that I loved and that <laughs> analyzing and pouring over and luxuriating in. Like, I had so many things thoughts and feelings and i just loved the sheer amount of detailed attentive thinking that went into this it really felt like aew at the peak of its powers mostly <laughs> yeah i <laughs> uh, a really really tremendous episode this one of my favorite of the year i would imagine um just to, we've already like discussed three or four separate segments, uh, things we love, things we hated. That's always, even the things that we didn't like, like that's the makings of like an eventful show. And when you're so full of praise, as Cedric points out, the, the stuff he said in the office, like, well, I'm going to have to repeat that on the podcast because I love it so much. I just want to be effusive to as many people as I possibly can be. That's the feeling you want to get. Mm. Also, I think what is key to this is, and this is very much in an office thing, but I feel like something that will extend out to certainly our listeners and the wider wrestling audience is there were things on the show that were very specifically for a strain of wrestling fan that AEW was really excellent at caught in, and as a result, stuff that like me and Sidgwick can like punch each other's faces over. It's becoming Tony Khan is starting to get more and more for AEW's core, which is really brilliant and also super awesome for the discourse because it's going to start getting really divisive and ugly <laughs> again. Like it's kind of that's the best version of AEW. I think I, I do deep down in my guts. I think when AW is operating at peak level is when it's absolutely awesome and also pissing people off at the same time. And I think like I'm noticing this trickling effect where week after week there's little bits more of that. I don't know if that's the elite just being the elite maybe, but like it just there are little bits every week. I'm like, hey, you actually, but like <laughs> disruptive it's, challenger brand stuff. Yeah, but it, it like it lights a fire in me as well. Yeah. Zero Vincel. I said, <laughs> what's uh, the what's the Vincel equivalent to Pepper H? Oh. 
okay. long, bone, long bone tone? Is that no, I mean, like, what is the word for people who are, like, obsequious to Triple H in the way that Vince sells? And oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, so what, what you're saying is, what's the WWE version of an AW Freakazoid? Yes. Because <laughs> I coined Fed Pilled. Yeah. And I absolutely did that. But we need the Fed Pilled. It's fine. I'll do my own victory lap here. Mm. I don't like if any listeners have got uh, any suggestions. So we've babyfaced AW Freakazoid, I think. Because it was very mean from Ariel Hall. Nice idiot. That. Yeah. And I don't like AW sexuals because there's... Like, it's so stupid. Yeah, and there's like... Mind, yeah. There's a slight homophobic overtone to that yeah, as well. Which, that's light. I don't really like it. Honestly, I, the amount of homophobia, and it's so casual and disgusting that I see on Twitter every single day, you did right to get away from it. <laughs> Whenever you gently praise AEW, even if you do, like, the most impartial take <laughs> you could possibly, like, post... The dick riding is real. Oh, yeah. Dick yeah. riding might be good, actually. If that floats your boat and it's yeah. all consensual. Mm. Aye. The, the, do away with that. And I think like there needs to be that. If you can find an AW version of Fed Pilled or Vincel. Freakazoid's funny to make Freakazoid. ironic. Uh, but I think that's nice now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, but then you have to, then you have to, once you've got the nice one for AW, you've got the counter with Triple H. The WWE try hards. Try hards. Will, but I'm not being funny. That's really good. Hey, just call me butter, baby. <laughs> Want a poster with my head on a bread roll by the end of 2023? That's what I want. Gets, fans. There, was sure, there was one for Phil last night. That was great. Simon, give Phil Chambers. I'm sure all. one of the freakazoids will do it. <laughs> <laughs> They'll forget your face. I'll just take a sign with a big loaf of bread on. Oh, Come on, I've got your sign. Freakazoid. Yeah. What is he? Zach Morris. <laughs> it's the stupidest, lamest thing I've ever him. heard in my life. Errol Hawani's penciling in a uh, hangout with AC Slater later. He's going to interview Tony Khan with like a massive brick phone and like those huge high top trainers. It's n- I'm not joking here, and this is honestly this is a really, really <laughs> kind of personal and potentially really harsh insult to Ariel Helwani, so I might have to apologise for this later. But <laughs> oh my word. It's as bad as Dijak's patter. Oh, hang on. You've you got punk that's, rat. You've gone too far now. Sorry. Um, Sorry, Ariel. Couple of things. Number one, <laughs> I rat. I legit said to Andy Murray when we went into the new studio today, I think I mean, there might be a fight on the podcast today because of like the, the point things you pointed out there and you two just, just, uh, just going to poke the bear a little bit each after this dynamite. And my concern, Sige, I think you've got a good point. There's a lot to discuss, a lot to cover, a lot of minuscule detail uh, that's going to be involved in all this. If by the, you know, by the worst imaginations, if we do miss something that you want to talk about, is there anywhere people can go to get your takes on this show? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can go to whatculture.com slash WWE and read my column, Eight Ups and Two Downs, from AEW Dynamite Nov 30 Review. <laughs> Quickest guy I've ever met, Michael Sidgwick, ever, right? Quickest hey. guy with a comeback with wit, whatever. There was a reason why it took just a split second longer than usual to pick up what you were putting down there. Because me and him shared a look. When you put on that tone of voice, like, Wilbon's about to take the piss out of something I love. Like, you've got that tone where, like, you've already, you've stopped Same because up, a gag has dropped into your head and it's like, he stopped listening three and a half minutes ago <laughs> because he's thought of a pun and, like, everything we said is irrelevant now. You had that tone of voice and yeah. then it was just a link. I had the exact same thought as my fellow Dudley boy to whom I extend the exact same professional respect, okay? We need a button, right? A siren. Like the bit clacks on. <laughs> like a dog whistle that people can't hear. A Wilborn whistle. Like every now and then, if we're just sick of it, we press a button, but only you can hear it. If you want a dog whistle sound effect, there's plenty of American podcasts out there. <laughs> that shall go unnamed. Uh, right. Uh, so the show opens. How does that sound again? Uh, uh, 
Right there. Right it looks there, even Jay. better now. He's got a Christmas jumper on. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Boom, let's go, ignite. In a flash of light. <laughs> Bring the boom. Dynamite. Wednesday night. You know what that means? Why aren't I on the show? <laughs> wow, Frank. You make my heart sing. You know what? There are certain points where I honestly think that Jim Ross has missed on Dynamite. Yeah. Agree. Agree. I think sometimes the patter between the three people, and I know Hamlet's done this <laughs> bit before, sounds a little bit too self-indulgent, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Take it from three complete dickheads who would know. And that's Hamlet's. Take three and no three, doesn't it? It does, like I. <laughs> Uh, so yes, John Moxley comes out through the crowd. He's still pissed, of course, about what happened at the pay-per-view. Um, and he gets in the ring and he says, wow, it's what, what a crazy ride my career has been. He says, I never know what's around the corner, but there are three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and John Moxley. No one can outwork me. I'm the top of the AW food chain. No man's got the balls uh, to tell me any different. And then... Hangman Page's music hits. He's back! And he walks down to the ring, no messing. He walks straight down to John Moxley, gets in his face, and Moxley has... I assume this was pre-approved because it's a very good line. <laughs> uh, a line about, you sure you want to do this? You remember what happened last time you did something like this? I mean, I can remind you if you've forgotten. because yeah. And, of course, they get into it. A big brawl breaks out. They have to be separated. Excalibur's talking about the fact that... Um, as far as I'm aware, Hangman Page hasn't been cleared to do any of this just yet. So they have to get separated. Hangman Page goes up the ramp. John Moxley falls off the ramp trying to attack him. <laughs> it's great. But it's the wildness of it all. Um, and they have to be taken to the back. And that, I assumed, would be the last we see of that. That wasn't the case, but what did you make of this opening, Sitch? This is absolutely fantastic. Again, the detail is there. The idea that he's not been cleared for action, he obviously has. I know this, but when you're locked into the story, you'd like to suspend your disbelief that you don't know this. Makes this brawl feel transgressive, dangerous, more exciting than it would ordinarily. And these two guys have got absolutely phenomenal chemistry on the microphone, when they're brawling, when they had that match, albeit it was cursed. I, I should have had more faith in these two particularly because I never really thought of it as... I always thought of a potential Moxley hanger match as, oh, there's two big stars and they could draw a decent pay-per-view rate. I'm not... Wildly excited to see it in the same way I would be in MJF versus Danielson, for mm. example. These two guys are magic together. I love this immediately. The brawl was so hot. I love, 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 love the disruption to the format. I love the format. The format is sacred. I put over the format indirectly every time I bury Raw for its stupid impromptu contrivances. The idea that it's an emulated sports league with fixtures from which conflicts organically arise. It should be that way around, not the other way around, Pepper Age. But when they tinker with the format, when they spring a shock that isn't, here's someone from a different wrestling company, which I'm getting kind of bored of, quite mm. frankly, at this point. It's so mint because it feels like it means something. It feels like these two have an incredibly heated grudge that they cannot get out of their systems without braining each other in the face. Every time on Raw, you see two people have an argument and then it spills out into a fight. It happens so often. It is the format that it just really winds me up because it's so fake. This is the antithesis of that. It was fantastic. The little detail that just shows that they're operating at a level above, as I said, with the eyes oh, not cleared yet, don't punch him in the face. It's like, don't punch him in the face. <laughs> Absolutely great. And guess what? It got even better as the night wore on yeah. as well. Fabulous, disruptive, 
truly believable start to the show. And the little glimpse he got of John Moxley being a bit of a heel knobhead. Mm. Oh, my God. So what needs to happen next, isn't it? I agree. It was really exciting, the potential of this, and, and a good thing in terms of, like, because Moxley can't just be back and being like, well, lost the world title, but I'm just going to keep myself busy wrestling Lee Moriarty on Rampage or whatever. Like, yeah, he's immediately being reinserted in something like this. Uh, Hamlet, what did you make of the interrupted opening show promo? What was going to go on? If Moxley wasn't interrupted. He's just gonna have a, he was going to have a promo. Have his minute and then get yeah. off stage. I, I love this, and how could you not? Ultimately, this is like this is kind of what you tune into wrestling for, I think, because obviously you've, you need the physicality to be good and believable, which this was. Uh, you want to be shocked and surprised, which you do. I've said this quite a lot recently. I've re- come to realise that at WWE under Triple H, what I want is to be shown things that theoretically could happen so that I can manifest them, and then they do. Like, I want to be rewarded for at least being smart enough to be able to book WWE. When it comes to AEW, I want to be surprised into thinking I can book it, and then it turns out that I can't. Those are the different expectations I have for these two shows. And we could have come up with a million different things for John Moxley to do and none of them would have been this, I don't think. Um, I certainly hadn't seen any speculation about when Paige would come back. Mm. The idea that, and this should happen more as well, we're in the post-Kayfabe world now, so when a wrestler gets injured, there is this idea that you kind of have to acknowledge it as real and thus the wrestlers have to respect one another and maybe shake hands or we've been through something together because we've all been injured and we know, like, the life on the road, we know that's the grind. It, it should actually still be fake, actually. And this is how you use an injury. And it, I don't know, I was reminded that this was how it always used to go before the rule book was torn up. And that Hangman Page in Kayfabe, these are characters within a show, Hangman Page in Kayfabe should be livid that John Moxley clotheslined him so hard that he clotheslined him into a concussion, that he was scared for his life for a minute. So he should fight him because the fights are supposed to be real within the fake mm. world. This was a, like, a really nice use of what an injury should be for rather than everybody being like, Good to have you back, man. I was worried for you out there for a second. And like, that's fine, but also let me just buy into mm. this. Um, John Moxley trying to babyface the Shockmaster was incredible. Like, if anybody, <laughs> if, if anyone was, if anyone was going to fall flat on his ass and try and get it over as something that like actually contributes to the chaos of the moment, it would be John Moxley. Have you ever seen a real fight? That's how it goes, isn't it? People, people fall on their ass. People just get thrown on the ground. It's, it's ugly. Ugly. Yeah. It's almost embarrassing. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend you do your work this sort of thing. No. If it happens, I'll take it. Like he was racing to get to him to the point where he didn't even look at the floor below him. You know, there's, there's something. There's a lot, I watched it back. There's a look on one of the security guards' faces going, oh, bloody hell. That's funny. Yeah. Like, out of context, it's pissed funny. He's falling over. People falling over is really funny. But in the moment, nothing is lost yeah. because he's like, he's just desperate to get to him. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't have loved this more. Would have never have seen it coming. Uh, it's a great pairing. There is actually, I thought there was like, it was woefully underheated, the first meeting between the two. And this is going to be the exa- exact opposite. I didn't feel it. Hangman Page never stood a chance against John Moxley in that match. I felt nothing. The promos were insanely good. I felt nothing going in for any kind of sense of a title change or Page. I didn't fit. Like, Page felt damaged by the punk stuff. There was this, like, you talked about the cloud. He was the guy that was carrying it because he was the only one on the show that I could. I thought it was immaculately built like, to the first one, to be perfectly I ju- honest. I, just I, like, I don't remember feeling anything for the, the drama between them now without the ace. Like, this goes to a pay-per-view in a way that the first one never stood a chance oh. Hangman Page got the best promo of his career. I think that's like I think that's subjective based on how much you love Page. I was looking at him going like, "Yeah, you're at fault for all of this," uh, which is cruel and unfair. But uh, that I, I resented Page more than anybody else because he was the only guy around to take my resentment at the time, and I don't anymore. Let's talk about what happened with him again Baby. later. He is, but you know he's got he's got past <laughs> that. 
uh, because he's being escorted from the building later on. I'm just going to talk about the same time because we might as well. Uh, and suddenly Moxley runs in and they start chucking each other into a garage door as well. I like the fact they revisited this. Yeah, again, just makes it feel real. These things should not stop when the camera stops because it's meant to be real. Like, you don't just dip in and out of character when the shot is, oh, we've got the shot, we've got it. Oh, okay, let's go home. It's meant to feel real, and they did a tremendous job of that. <laughs> just That's like the idea of security being like, oh, bloody hell. Anyway, right, Adam, off you go, mate. There's the, the taxis just waiting for you. Oh, bloody hell, mocked. They're <laughs> just like, oh, for Christ's sake, I thought my night was over in security. That's a point, actually. Like, who who was filming that? That fight? I don't know. Right, and the world didn't explode, so it turns out invisible cameras are fine, actually. <laughs> It's already started, right, okay. Just, uh, that's, that's not a dig at surgery. That's a dig at Don Callis and the Young Bucks. Like, that brawl happened. That was fine. Mm. Nobody cared. There's a camera there. So what? There's cameras all around because of filming um, a reality show. Great. So I'll there take, you go. I'll mate. take that. I will there you t- go. You don't need to mate me. Like, <laughs> I'm actually suggesting it's fine. Yeah. People are such fannies over things that don't matter, and that one is one of them. That is so it. What? I'm a fanny about that, and you nah, know I'm man, a fanny nah. about it? No, like, but in this case, it, nobody thought it. That's the point I'm making. Nobody cared. Nobody was yeah. like, who's filming that? Come on, guys. You've, like, it doesn't make sense anymore. It's it's fine. Like, it's I okay. Think visible camera's fine. Now that I realise that, if they weren't filming a reality TV show, and you pointed that out, I would like it a little bit less. Is it that? Is that the reason why? Or have you had to look for a reason why there? No, I've looked for a reason why, but that is a good enough reason as any as to why there were cameras mm. backstage. Oh, I was using it to give them the benefit of the doubt. I was just like, that was just a cool brawl, so I didn't care that I could see it. Oh. You know? I hate the invisible camera. Uh, ne- next up, it was Brian Danielson versus Dax Harwood. Good little gentleman's three between those two. Shut up. Uh, then Ricky Starks is backstage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd go fishing. It'd be fun, isn't it? Um, Yes, this was... So both being bron- bron- friggin' breaker today, to be honest. <laughs> was he fishing again on the next two? No, but that was a reference to his fishing. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> he was busy. He was a <laughs> right, okay. Um, Thought I'd find you here. This got... This is awesome, chaps, before they locked up, didn't it? Yeah, because it was yeah. brilliant matchmaking. The idea is Danielson's going to revolution, I mm. called it. And they want you to remind you mm. that Danielson rules, actually. And what a way to do that. Yeah, um, clear that Dax Holwood was having the time of his life in there as well. Countering in a ground game and strikes from Danielson. There's label locks and sharpshooters being countered. Uh, Danielson, I don't think it was, it was early on where Dax ducked a kick from Danielson, just shot him this look of like, you trying to take my head off there? Yeah. Great, that. Uh, an up kick. Love seeing up kicks in my wrestling. More of that, please. Uh, he nails uh, nails Dax with that, Danielson, as he's on the ground. Uh, and then he low bridges Harwood to the floor and uh, sends him into the front row. And then I think there's a suplex in the crowd as we go to a break. Uh, when we come back, there's a load of reversals between the two of them. And then a pile driver from Harwood gets him a two count. He goes up top, misses a headbutt. Danielson hits his running knee off the apron to the floor. Harwood goes for a superplex, but Danielson crotches him and hits those uh, hammer and anvil elbows and a back superplex. And Harwood rolls through and Danielson rolls through. We get a two count. Sorry to interrupt your flow. The camera angle for that was absolutely incredible. Yeah, Continue. yes. Um, there's a bit where they're immediately after that, both on their knees, headbutting each other. Uh, they just were just swinging for the fences here, trying to take each other's heads off. They're no selling lariats. They're both like, oh, I'm, I'm a bit, in a bit of trouble here, both of them. Uh, they tro- both trying to hit, hit their sort of ender and do and both collapse. Uh, and there's just, yeah, a, a, an unsurprising crowd. Habit for this. Um, so 
Harwood blocks a kick, goes for his slingshot powerbomb. Danielson rolls through into a kick. He starts nailing his his version, his kicks, goes for the Busaiku knee. Uh, Harwood counters into that beautiful slingshot powerbomb uh, and a sharpshooter. And then there's this inside cradle counters back and forth until Danielson sinks in the LaBelle lock. Uh, Excalibur points out, I think, that he's, his eyes are covered. He's just flailing. Please, can I get the ropes? No, I'm going to die. Right, I'll submit. Uh, and then a nice moment afterwards as well, Sige, where Harwood's like, yeah, piss off and goes to leave. And, ah, I'm only joking. And there's ah, a nice yeah. show of respect afterwards. I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. God, that match was fantastic. Fantastic. A little details nerd. <laughs> Got an early Christmas present here. Right. I am going to repeat some of the turns of phrase that I've used in Ups and Downs, which, of course, you can hop onto whatculture.com slash WWE and read right now, or ideally after this podcast, right? <laughs> they, without abandoning the crucial dramatic principles of a professional wrestling match obscured the fact that they were working in a predetermined way. The balance of registering what they were about to do to get the anticipation, but then instantly struggle out of it to feel like a fight was just as masterful as you'd expect out of these two. There's an early sharpshooter where the second uh, Dax Harwood sort of dramatically puts the foot in, right, and people are about to buy it, Danielson's like, no, I can't have that. He needs to flail out of it. It was just so unbelievably well-worked in that regard. Like, if you pick apart, you can pick apart any professional wrestling match, and the reason why people do that is because it never looks like a real fight. <laughs> this was as close as you're going to get without not being, without being an incredibly boring grapple. F- I hate grapple fun. It bores me to death, and I can never really watch someone like Timothy Thatcher do his thing. Mm. I appreciate how great he is at his craft. I just feel like it's almost redundant as a form. That's my personal take. I can appreciate the form, not for me. If you, that first two minutes was the perfect version of that style because you got so much out of it from a dramatic point of view, but it still felt real and you were immersed immediately. Like, And I loved the, uh, the strike exchange. We see stuff like it every single week, but it proves how incredible these guys both are to make it real, like really mean something again, like the idea that Danielson just hates the idea that someone's challenging his striking. Mm. He goes, no, it's any effect. Doesn't actually hurt this. And then just sort of like no sells and advances towards it. Meshed so well with Dax Harwood because Dax Harwood's wrestling character in 2022 is amazing. And he does this on Twitter as well, and it's fine. He will <laughs> never, ever accept until he's been beaten by a superior singles wrestler at the last second. He will never accept that he isn't the very best professional wrestler on the planet, and he wears that so well with his body language and his defiance and his, like, sort of tenacity. He is amazing at this. Not on Twitter. He is amazing at professional wrestling, and this match was class. Yeah, it's what stuck out to me, and it does, you know, it does speak to what Dax and Cash, I guess, feel about CM Punk. He was kind of like, I think a lot in a lot of Dax singles matches, like you can see some CM Punk influence in the fact that they're just, this was an exceptional match and it was as tight as it was fluid and it was all those great things that make you feel good about just this tremendous bit of singles business. But they're just, characters were so clear, their pro wrestling characters were so clear, not just in the space between or not just in the posturing, but while the moves were taking place, that sharpshoot was a great example of it. There was very, there was like a tiny little struggle 
but it didn't like alter the pace of it of the um, the rolling Germans as well. Mm. Like you could see the hands shifting, yeah, the momentum of the rolling Germans. And typically, that like I find that spot quite difficult because often you know, it's physically really tiring, and they're both as one's taking it hurt, second one is doing it, knackered. So it stands to reason <laughs> that's a difficult thing. But what's happened is why it's quicker than usual is because they were both trying to like trying to get out of it while it was taking place. And there was just lots of little details they threw in that just felt completely in keeping with the characters of Brian Danielson and Dax Harwood. And I think that that is that is like a, a punk trait um, and, a, and a Brett trait, of course. And I just, I don't know, there was a lot of that in this. And there was, I, this was like rich in quality for what was ultimately something for if the rankings were still there for Danielson to start mm. rising the rankings. I uh Brian Danielson proves me wrong in a way that I never want to admit because I get a bit I on a podcast recently, I get a bit pissy with AEW when I feel like Daniel Bryson Daniel Bryan is Brian Danielson is going underused because it's like he is a main eventer and you're allowing him to indulge his own wrestling hobby and just Yeah, he fart. said he'd wrestle in front of two hundred people or bingo halls or whatever, yeah. Good for him. He's he says that, but he hasn't done that since like 2010. Yeah. And, and like, good for him and like being willing to say, go and just do anything in the mid card that is asked of him or take these losses or whatever. They have got this like this main eventer and this star. And it just turns out that he can switch it on and off like a light bulb and not everybody can. When he was required to do this for the Hangman Page story and he started doing it with the Dark Order, he felt it then. I'm already feeling it again now. It I felt it last week in the segment with Regal. I felt it not just in his match, but in the way that he was mentioned and used elsewhere on the show. And it's like, oh, actually, you can have both. I would rather he be the top star every week. But if he wants to spend six months doing what he likes and then like airlifted back into the main event slot, it's because he can. Yeah. And there's so few wrestlers that can, just because it isn't to my taste, he actually is one of these guys that can pretty much absorb a million losses and be immediately the top guy again. Aye. And I, I'm i not worried. I'm tremendously excited. They are going to have to better the angle that is drawing MGF and Danielson closer. That's a revolution match. It absolutely yeah. is. They're going to have to better what we saw later yeah. to build interest in that yeah. match when they actually make it explicit. Um, I cannot wait. Uh, don't get me wrong. Love Ricky Starks. It was a bit confused by what came next, though. He's back there with Tony Schiavone, and he announces um, that he's going to be in entering the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal, which is, of course, um, for the uh, beautiful Diamond Ring. A while since we had that, haven't we? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the world, yeah. the, the world title, because he is absolute. Um, so he's a couple of things. You pointed this out as well uh, in the office, Sige. He's fighting for the world title, but he's also going to fight for this because the winner of the diamond ring gets another title shot. But also a man who is 25% tape right now is putting himself into a... Battle Royal the week before he fights for the world title. I was a bit confused by all this. I think this is pretty terrible babyface characterization and one of the two, like, really wonky things on this show. I can't work it out. He's basically being a babyface and a heel at the same time, at least from my perspective, right? Yes, you point out he's completely injured and he'll be lucky enough to mount a serious challenge in storylines to MJF albeit in the place, Texas, where he came of age, and mm. he should have all this grassroots support. Is it not a bit sneaky and opportunistic to ultimately arrive at a night where he could theoretically lose to MJF and then say, right, we go again. There's no all-or-nothing drama to that. 
I'm sure that was the insinuation in his promo, and it just feels a bit like if you're a babyface in professional wrestling, you should win fairly and get one shot. Yeah. And then you get screwed out of the shot, maybe. And then you get the shot in the cage match. You shouldn't get two shots. That doesn't scan his babyface stuff to me, even if he's taken an incredibly virtuous and babyface route to get there by putting him... It's just so weird, this. The only thing that it reminds me of is, didn't uh, Rollins fight fight for the title in that triple threat whilst he still had the briefcase? He did, what, Brock and Cena? Yeah, Yeah, he did, yeah. Um, That's happened before as well. Edge had the briefcase and won a tournament to get a title Uh. shot like that. There's nothing wrong with that because you've, you've got the shot first. It just so happens that you've won it, like... You know, like the the dino. There's a few problems with this. Um, not least, I think the fact that we were talking this morning. I'm still confused about all of this. Uh, the diamond, dynamite, diamond ring is a selective title shot. MJF hasn't had three. Yeah, like he had one title shot off that diamond, that diamond ring, and that was the first one. Unless I've got, I might have got my chronology wrong there. Actually, but was the Moxie one related to the ring or like the? So he first wins it mm-hmm. um, in the match against. Hangman Page following the Dynamite doesn't. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't get a title shot. He just gets the ring. Gets but ring, it yeah. becomes a very important part of his character because he uses it to win the big matches. Mm. So it's uh, it's a prize and a weapon at the same mm-hmm. time. One that's easier to detect. not More difficult to detect by the referees, in theory, even though indiscipline elsewhere has yeah. made a mockery of that, right? 2020 beats Cassidy, I think, I was gonna say, okay, yeah. to retain it. Doesn't get a title shot. 2021 goes last with Dante Martin. Yeah. Doesn't get yes. doesn't get a title shot. If I'm going to justify this, I'm not going to justify it. I might explain it. I don't like this is the way they're going with things. Is it now the case that without a ranking system, and it's been pretty formally abandoned at this point, that the Eliminator has... Oh, I hate it. The Eliminator has replaced a ranking system. Lazy, nowhere near as... Um, easy to invest in or buy into. Maybe this is like another version of the Eliminator where he's got different ways now instead of really putting in the work and doing the maths and taking the time to do the ranking system where this basically functions as a new way to determine a contender. It's tournaments, it's rings, it's Eliminators as opposed to tournaments and casino stuff and the rankings. I don't like how they change the rules. Further to that, um, but I, by the way, I'd like... I think Starks was that great here, and I thought this in the Rampage promo, he's shown some rust promo-wise, or he's not yet quite figured out his voice as a babyface. I can't quite work out what it is, but it's not as slick as it was. Mm. And uh, that will come. Like it's good on the road to. All the road ta- to is good. All this talent that we've seen for years at this point it hasn't just disappeared. I just think maybe he's still figuring out his voice as a babyface. And in, and in a really tough spot of being a challenger that everybody knows is going to lose. That's a difficult thing to try mm. and promo yourself out of. The Dynamite Diamond Ring is typically, is it not, a battle royal followed by a match? That's right, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. one week, the match the following week. This is the final two. Have the so match. Ricky Sarks has lined up two more weeks of work before he fights at Winter is Coming. There's two more Dynamites for Winter is Coming. No, Winter is Coming is in two weeks. Two weeks. So this year, it's the Battle Royal is, it's just that's going to decide the ring. Royal, so they've changed the stipulation. Unless they do the match the same night. Right, so either way, you potentially line up one or two matches to have mm. to get that. Because he wants, what's the motivation? He wants to do all the things MJF has done. Like, that's that's what he said in the interview, yeah, isn't That's it? weird. You've, had, just, you've got the belt, I'm going to take that. You also had the ring, I'm going to take that. The, the winner, for me, is hiding in plain sight. It's Captain Sean Dean. Uh-huh. Him, him running around with MJF's possession, having beaten him twice, it's funny, right? That's, like, that's a, <laughs> a good bit that he's got this ring. I've got two wins over you, and now I've got the thing that you've held dear all these years. You should I mean, at the very least put him in the final four. Yeah. Like, 
Starks doesn't because he doesn't have to win, does he? He's got his shot. If anything, MJF can stop him having it out of resentment. You can't have that ring. And then he's saying, that's it. All my problems are solved. Sean Dean's got it. Like, yeah. you know, there's, there's a nice, cute character bit there. Uh, it, but it is a weird... It's just so We weird. don't even know. We're talking about this and we watch the show. We're in this and it's still quite unclear. What like they'll, I think they will have to clear some of this up on Rampage to make it apparent what it is we're even watching next week. In the oddest way possible, it feels like Winter is Coming has already happened and... Ricky Starks is going to have another potentially stipped up match with Ethan Page so that he can get his heat back or get a bit more momentum or whatever. It feels like they've missed like a really major step in a milestone <laughs> in his career, which is the incredible hard-fought main event against MGF. Look, I've loved the details. And later in the evening, the, the deft dovetailing is just genuinely tremendous, but it felt like he was obsessed with the idea of being mad scientist Tony when Tony, Star, uh, Tony Starks, that's... That's geek stuff, isn't it? That's yeah. Iron Man. Ricky Starks <laughs> versus MGF. I think that should have been kept very simple. It feels like he really wants to do something with this battle royale. Mm. And he's focused on that when he should be focused on Ricky Starks. I just did. I was mystified by all of this. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. This was when we got the uh, backstage brawl between uh, Paige and Moxley again, and then we go to Renee Paquette, who sat down uh, with the Jericho Appreciation Society and Claudio and Utah um, of the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, Daddy Magic starts us off. <laughs> Says, hey, uh, when you lose to uh, Jericho next week and you join the JS, don't worry, you can be anything you want. You can be a yodeler. I was devastated here because me and Sidney were talking to the desk the other day, and I was like, hmm. They've established a, situa- a stipulation where I want Claudio to lose because I want him to be forced into being yeah. a sports entertainer and fight his way out. They've verbalised it's not happening. They've verbalised it now. Like, we're not going to get yodelling Claudio for even just one week. The hat as well. I'd like that was... Oh, yeah. I want wrestling and sports 
sports entertainment to... I want pro wrestling to beat sports entertainment very quickly. <laughs> just tie in bow on all of this. On all of it. Uh, Claudio gets asked uh, what, what his reaction to all this and what, what it means to win the title. He says, like, it proves I can win the big one. In the midst of all this, Jake Hager says, I like this hat. And he pulls one out of his uh, fanny pack, his bomb bag, uh, and chucks it at uh, Claudio. And he's fired up, is Claudio, as I am, to punch the desk. Uh, he's sick of all this. He's on the best. I'll beat Jericho. He, sh- he shouts and moans at the JAS, uh, nearly breaks the bloody chair, walks off. Uh, and Garcia's like, <laughs> see the back well, combat club's falling apart. And you was like, right, I'm done with all of this as well. And you, you prick. Um, uh, and the only reason all this isn't, comp- the only reason you aren't dead to me is because I want that. I want the ring of honor, pure tile. I want a shot at it at final battle. Uh, and we'll have a tag match as well with me and uh, me and Claudio versus you and Hager. And uh, yeah, Garcia's up for all of this. I am not particularly. Like, <laughs> just get the final battle. Claudio wins clean. I'm fairly certain Ian Riccoboni has been saying quite often, does Jericho even realize he's being a pretty frequent defender of this, like, really reverent title, and he's winning clean? In matches that people love. In matches that people love. show him. (laughs) Is he accidentally, like, shedding his carny skin without him even realizing it? Oh, he's shedding it literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His chest. Yeah. The wrestler underneath. Mm. So, lose... To Claudio, shake his hand, and then Sammy Guevara's like, what even are you, mate? I'm so lost. <laughs> it's been three years. Like, I don't even know who you are anymore, and I can't follow you, and then they have a match at Revolution, and then just get rid of anything to do with the BCC and the JAS. Sick of it. Absolutely sick of it. My worry is that the JAS are going to win. What a terrible story that would be. The way I'll describe it is that AW is a better pro wrestling promotion than WWE when they show this by simply crafting great pro wrestling stories as we got later on the night. This JAS versus BCC thing has been tell, don't show for the longest time. And I just think it's so hollow and like I can't get into it that much as a result. They're telling me and not showing me and they showed me like within minutes. Yeah, it was hard to... uh, So they were promoting three matches in one segment, which is like good an economic point of view, but I didn't care about any of the three, really. Jericho Claudio is an interesting one because I think even in the promo, like, Claudio says something like, you know, I want to be the world champion, forgetting that he already was. Like, this is a rematch for, like, I he understand. He says, I can win the big one. You've already won the big one. Yeah, like, that isn't a stake anymore. Like, I understand what the stakes are because you've... Jonathan Gresham, down bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, just, there was no point here. You've got three matches, tag matches, two singles title matches. At no point did I particularly want to watch any of them, which is a real failing of the segment. But, to Sidgwick's point about this being big on the details, on commentary, and I wish I could remember the place, on commentary, they said something like, Rene Paquette has sat down with the BCC uh, and the JAS in, and I'm pulling a place out of my ass, Las Vegas, Nevada, right? It was somewhere. Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you. Nashville, Tennessee. That matters very, very soon as to why Utah and Claudio were in Nashville and not in Indianapolis. So mm. I very, very much appreciated that. Uh, Claudio shouldn't bury sit-down interviews because you've got other wrestlers on the show asking for them. And Rene Paquette is supposed to be good at this. This is There's nothing sports entertainment here about a competitive sit-down interview. Yeah. Be wary about burying that trope because it's quite a good one. Excellent. A pro wrestler has to promote their matches. Yeah. They just don't have to wear stupid hats. That's yeah. the difference. I always assume uh, Daniel Garcia's in Nashville because he's the only 10 I see. So. 
Uh, next up, TNT title match. I felt guilty about this, right? Because they went, TNT title match next. And I was like, yeah, Wardlow's going to chuck someone around. Oh, bollocks. Joe's champion, isn't he? But... Then we got a fun match, and also very happy for AR Fox, someone who I, I'll hold my hands on, I didn't know a great deal about, and then was introduced to him through AEW. Had a bit of a, a flashback during this match of like, wow, AEW's really introduced me to some great wrestlers that I had no bloody clue about beforehand. AR Fox being one of them, Kanosuke to Takeshita, of course, as well. Uh, and it was uh, Joe defending the TNT title against AR Fox. Uh, and I like the fact that they played with the... The gimmicks of Joe. Oh, he's going to nope or die, but AR Fox is so mint, he just lands on his feet and then bump kicks him. I thought that was sensational in this match. Uh, Joe eventually takes control, though. Strikes, running sent on. Uh, they go to the break. He's still battering him. Fox makes his comeback. Uh, fights out the corner. Hits a leaping DDT. Hits a, a low cutter and a top rope 450 for a nice two count. Goes up top again, uh, but this time uh, he gets noped by Joe and he's going for a flipping somersault or something, a somersault dive. And yeah, just eats crap on that. Gets sort of pounced into the ropes by Joe. Joe gets him up, muscle buster, one, two, three, retains the TNT title, Sige. Uh, and then afterwards gets on the mic and says, I'm the king of TV, before Wardlow interrupts and says, look, I've not forgotten, you're holding what's mine. This, is, this isn't your world, this is Wardlow's world. I wish they'd booked him like this all along. This is the best Joe has looked in this company by a million miles for me personally. And I just wish they'd done this all along. Mm. Um, the problem with the Joe arc is that they've programmed him against... The Suzuki stuff was really good. Like it peaked in the first three minutes. <laughs> but subsequent to that... They've tried to make it like Joe can still do stuff like he did in ROH back in the day. And the Adam Cole match at Double or Nothing was like, oh, God, it's a gentleman's three of a, you know, a hybrid super indie match. That's not working. And then when they've programmed him against fellow monsters, it brings into focus the fact that he's nowhere near the monster in the monstrous presence that he once was. Like, I prefer Hobbs and I prefer Wardlow at this point. Watching him play the hits and nope AR Fox was just absolutely tremendous. And I kind of wish they'd been really more savvy because I thought this was inspired matchmaking. Like, not quite Keith Lee, Isaiah Casty level, but within seconds, I thought, what a perfect idea for an opponent for Joe this is. Like, absolutely inspired. That was great stuff from Tony Khan here. Like, the nope spot was great, especially the conference where he did it afterwards. Um, but even the little details, like the short cutter, when Joe takes a big bump these days, it kind of like really knocks him silly or gasses him out or something happens because these matches slow down. He didn't have to do anything really. Mm. He said, go, meh, meh. Mm-hmm. So even the move set, like for the hope spot, didn't tire Joe out. It was, I've said all along, book him like Sting. He's closer to Sting than he is to Joe, prime mm. Joe. And this was a little glimpse as to the, the power this character can still have in the right context. Strictly speaking, it didn't do a great deal to hype me for the Wardlow match. He could nope one of Wardlow's incredulous aerials, and that'll be great. Um, but I thought significantly more of Joe than I have since he got here watching this match. Mm. Yeah, I thought this was superb. Um, and such a superb use of Samoa Joe that I kind of didn't like Wardlow by the end of this. I would agree I that I didn't find I think the fans did, to be no, honest. I think he speaks volumes that he didn't come out on the stage, he just did a video. I think there's a situation that I feel has been bubbling since the MJF match for a number of reasons where it's gone from 
oh my God, Wardlow's happening. This is amazing too. They're trying to make Wardlow happen and everybody can feel that. Even as TNT champion, I think because that win came a bit too late and I think the Warjo... Here was the thing, right, that stuck out to me. Oh, he buried Warjo in the promo as well, didn't now, he? right? Joe called himself, what was it, the, the king of all television, holding up both belts. Yes, that is a better catchphrase than Warjo. It's also a better catchphrase than Wardlow's world. And you could feel that. He said that and my wrestling brain went, great. He's holding up two belts. That's a preposterous thing to call yourself, but you absolutely should while you're holding these titles and you've just won a match and looked cool mm. for the first time in ages. Like, it's one of them lovely things when everything coalesces in pro wrestling. And it's like, because this is Wardlow's world. That's not as fun. I could, like, I could feel it and you could feel it in the building as well. And I think this has been coming a little while and I think it was maybe not acknowledging that as to why having Wardlow losing that triple threat was a risk. And I think now you're seeing the consequences of that risk. And I do think that's something to do with what Sidgwick's saying about not feeling the hype for the singles match. It will be definitely better on the night. But Wardlow is not where collectively I think we all wish he was. And I think there's no getting away from that now. I'll hold my hands up, to be honest. The reactions Joe gets completely betray my opinion of him. Yeah. So I think it really is a subjective thing for me because if he's getting over at the expense of Wardlow, if he's booking aside, then uh, maybe I'm on an island here, but yeah, this is the best Joe's looking at AW for me. I love this. I also really like, because I really like what the brief things I've seen of AR Fox, trade offer you get to become all elite, but also Joe's going to wreck you. <laughs> Sign here. All right, you're taking a muscle buster. Enjoy. Um, you mentioned the triple threat there. We got another great video package hyping up the return of Powerhouse Hobbs. They are rehabilitating him quite nicely, I think. They are. I admire this man profoundly, and I don't want to boo, boo him. The idea is he's, he's the biggest badass of all the badasses, and he's going to be horrible to your favourites. Do it. You deserve it. You've heard the real shoot stories of his um, yeah. oop, up oop bringing. Jesus Christ is up bringing, and I just think the man is just to be admired. Is this not a turn? Like, we're not supposed to be taking this it as when he comes back. Like can cheer potentially, potentially. Yeah. I did. There was certain. I can't remember off the top of my head what the, the dialogue was in the it's last ominous, two or three lines. It, yeah. it was more ominous than like I'm. He's genuinely an inspiration. I admire yeah. the hell out of the guy. Um, and then we got a return of Taz analyzes wrestling this time with his own son. Do it every week. I'm yeah. not being funny. Do this every single week. I would like to think, right, that as a pro wrestling analyst who takes his job seriously and doesn't just use an adjective to describe something, someone some clout on Twitter and a YouTube channel, okay? Which I see far too much of. I think deeply about this. Sometimes I reach for story beats, but I'd rather try and look corny and reaching, bro. <laughs> I'd rather really try and put together the story, what the wrestlers are trying to They're do. They're pricks them as well, them bastards, because like, if you do it the other way, uh, yeah, it's just wrestling, mate. It's like, all right, shall I just, just wrestle in all of my reviews and takes, shall I? And then you do that, and it's like, uh, don't take it seriously. Nah, yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just don't want us to... Mm. Nah, just don't want us to... Yeah, to think about your favourite thing. You don't want us to enjoy it, but then if we criticise it, just enjoy it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you absolutely can't. Absolutely. So I hate that breed of wrestling media with passion. Maybe if we do the airing of grievances... <laughs> Then we'll get there with that. Michael Sidgwick addresses his enemies. Yeah. I want to do that as a podcast. Did I tell you this? No. I want to do the airing of grievances, the Festivus What Culture Wrestling special. <laughs> Feels like $50 Patreon tier category yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't it? It's like there is an almost forbidden door, but you can pay to get in. I like that. People are going, oh, your Christmas Day podcast. It's all the what wacky women stuff they're uh, reading the comments for. Oh, they're just uh, shooting people <laughs> on Christmas Day. So I like to chronicle elite law. All the backstory, the fact that it all out, for example, even when the books in Hangman Page are kind of on the same page on a professional and friendship level, they still 
by having Matt Jackson prevent Page from hitting the buckshot. That's like an actual representation through the vehicle of brilliant wrestling that there is lingering trauma within that relationship. Like, I love being able to spot this. I work hard to spot this. I rewatch things to spot this. One thing I absolutely cannot do is, all right, okay, why does that submission really hurt? Why is it so pivotal that that wrestler puts his hand there at mm. that exact time? Taz can explain that to me because he's a trained master at an art form that I have no training in whatsoever. He illuminates to me and has done every single time he's done the segment. Oh, that wrestler's even better than I thought. Yeah. Because I have no idea. He deepens my appreciation of the craft. This thing takes a minute. It'll take him longer to get his thoughts on, but for me to watch it, it takes a minute. Mm. It's not an imposition on the show whatsoever. I want this to happen every single week. It deepens my appreciation of the wrestlers, of the craft itself. It puts the wrestlers over with authority, and it makes it feel like a more sports-based presentation. It's my favorite low-key thing. I beg for this every single week. Uh, and as much as Cedric loves that, I also love wrestling aesthetics. And the fact that there was an orange tint on all of this, yeah. there was a disclaimer. Because, like, don't mistake this. This isn't one of those YouTube videos where they tell you, like, if you dropped your phone in the toilet, put it in a bowl of rice. Like, this is like this is a handy how-to-kill-a-guy instruction <laughs> video that you absolutely should not. Like, don't try this home should be a crawler on every wrestling show and every match. Theoretically, shouldn't yeah. it? In, in, like, if this was all real. But this is different. This is different gravy. Like, don't do hook stuff because you'll kill a guy or they'll kill you. And I loved, like, the way that this was presented as well. Um... Every single week, it. I can't decide if it should be a hook thing or just an everybody thing. Everybody, because as we've shown, this can be a great vehicle to get other people over at the same time. But it does, it does elevate Hook's status again, which he's been in desperate need of. Mm. And if he is this potential breakout star, it doesn't hurt to have like that Poochie thing of well, if Hook's not around, everybody's talking about Hook. Yeah. That doesn't hurt. I, I want everyone to get a bit of profile every single week, even if someone had a match the week before about which Taz provides insight on the technique. If they're not on the show, it's so much better than a stupid interrupted backstage interview mm. or something like that. I demand this recurring series to be on my television screen every single week. I cannot tell you how much I adore it. Uh, speaking of things we adore, world champion MJF was next. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, he wasn't technically first. Let me get the order of things right. John Moxley left. William Regal went I'll slither in the back door. I love then. the idea that he's just skulking around like a bitch. Yeah. And then the opportunity has presented itself. And then he gets a tron. So it's all a bit wrestling, but still. And that's why they're in Tennessee for the sit down. Yeah. That's why you and Claudio, that's the whole thing. It, stuff matters. Stuff matters. Uh, Regal comes down, introduces the new world champion, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. He throws his gum at little girl. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to do this justice, obviously. I'm also probably going to miss some stuff. So. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it and then come back because this was some sensational stuff. So he talks about uh, how he got together with William Regal. Uh, Regal emailed MJF after he got attacked by the firm. Talked about him becoming weak, but he's willing to help him learn how to become a true villain. He said, don't uh, don't grab the uh, dynamite diamond ring, the beautiful dynamite diamond ring. Grab the brass ring. Uh, Regal oh wants yeah. him to use the brass knucks and leave Moxley with an emotional scar uh, when he's been outsmarted by MJF. Um, MJF says, look, I respect the firm. That's as I'm talking about them. Uh, they smell blood in the water, but uh, I'm not going to chase them down after what they did to me because effort is for paws. <laughs> he said, uh, yeah, this, uh, this title looks like a piece of crap as well. Um, so 
He needs a bit of an upgrade. I was like, uh, angry with that. Yeah, he thought too. he was. I got a little bit worried when there was that, and I was like, they're going to do a new title. And, like, your mind just goes, spinner, 24-7 championship. Like, this is, you don't, not, no one has ever said, you know what they need to do is change that um, men's world title. It's perfect, AW. yeah. yeah. I, uh, the, the, you know, we're going to talk about the, the physical sight of a strewn body at the end of this. I felt sadder for that shot of the belt on the on the floor. You could see the side plate yeah. sticking up, and the, the strap was all strewn, and I was like... Somebody go take care of that thing. Go pick it, pick it up like that. I was One of these poors could get it first. Yeah, like, <laughs> you remind me, we, once in WCPW there was a big fight and someone chucked their champion. Like I'm going to get in the ring and chuck their championship, and I'm just watching from the side. And I suddenly thought, bloody hell, look at that guy. He's got like a replica WCPW <laughs> belt. And I went, oh my god, he's grabbed it from the ramp. And there was a bit <laughs> me that when they showed it, it was quite close to the ground. I was like, someone in theory could just go. Thanks very much. Yeah, I was panicking about that the same way. But yeah, he said, title looks horrible. And uh, it also is rubbish because it reminds me of all the crap former champions. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he chucks the, chucks the belt down and Regal whips off the, the thing and presents him with the triple B, baby, the big Burberry belt. It's hideous, isn't it? Well. So the middle bit's fine. I think it's rather elegant and fetching. If he'd have just done it as a baby face, as a, come on, guys, I'm a bit... If, if he, in the alternate reality close to our own... Did actually turn baby face and was like, you didn't really like the belt, did you guys? I've got a new and improved one. And everyone would be like, oh, yeah, it's actually just exactly the same, except for the very slightly understated, elegant Burberry design. The idea is that he's, it should be more garish than it is. Mm. It should be the same color as his scarf. Because I, I didn't quite get that. Yeah, rich people have no class or taste. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the crack here. And I that thought it Trump and Farage gold elevator picture. Ugh. Yeah, is, yeah. A gold elevator, and you uh, dickheads. Like, it should have genuinely been a bit more garish. That's the only flaw in, I think, one of the preeminent masterpieces of the year. Like, up there with the very best stuff in the MJF versus Punk feud. And I've been missing that level of quality. So, yeah, uh, he gets this new belt and then sets up about five different title views for himself. <laughs> he slags off Eddie Kingston. He slags off Ricky Starks. Obviously, he's going to be facing in a couple of weeks. He slags off fake wrestlers like Brian Danielson. He said, oh, poor, poor Billy. Billy Regal try with Danielson. But, you know, some people just can't be helped. <laughs> He talks about being champion, you know, holding it all next year. The bidding war of 2024, he's going to utilize this title as a bargaining chip. He's going to be going to become the most paid wrestler ever. Uh, he said Khan's going to have to pay. Not Tony bloody Khan, though. <laughs> Jolly old Saint Nick. <laughs> uh, and he mentions his boy Trips as well as being part of this bidding war. Uh, but he says, uh, you know, maybe I won't go to... Well, effectively says, maybe I won't go to WWE. And everyone's like, yay! Maybe I'm going to go to Hollywood. Uh, Can I just say, before I forget, that's genius. Because I think a lot of people are kind of under the assumption that MGF obviously must have signed a contract. So mm. the bidding more of 2024 thing might have fallen a little bit flat. Now, Hollywood, that's an actual possibility. He's that already trumps, in something. Yeah. That, uh, he's already in something. The legitimacy is there. And that trumps everything. We all know this. The law, they would all be actors if they had a choice. He's going to start flashing his uh, SAG. Card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, no, I got. I don't need this, please. I got insurance. Yeah. Uh, drops a bit of Daniel Bryan referencing by calling all the fans fickle, which I liked, uh, and says you're just going to complain like everyone else, uh, despite you know the ones that you cheered when I won the title, etc., etc. Don't cheer me, basically. Uh, he says my title reign is going to be longer than Hulk Hogan, JBL, and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, my reign is going to cause Bruno Sammartino to roll in his grave. Yeah, yeah. 
And he pulls out the brass knucks and says, uh, look, without these and without you, William Regal, none of this was possible. Everyone respects you, William Regal. For 40 years, you've given it your all. And from the bottom of my heart, boom! Clocks him from behind with the brass knucks and commentary. Quite rightly, as they've established, uh, we talked about this on the news, me and Andy. Oh my God, I might have literally just watched MJF kill a guy. Re- commentary react in that way, basically. Uh, MJF says, <laughs> you say I had much to learn, and yet you're the one who made the deal with the devil. And he quotes uh, Williams Regal's letter to him from many, many years ago, of course. Um, he said, when you're ready, you know, send me your stuff. And he signs off, and he walks through the crowd. And yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a Cornette guy, a lot of people in that crowd probably wanted to try and attack him, and he's getting pushed, and stuff's getting chucked at him. Uh, and then... You see him shove the guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Brian... <laughs> Danielson runs down. I think Mick Foley tried to have a go, and then he got to somebody else. (laughs) Brian Danielson runs down. He's in, like, shorts, a towel. He's got one boot on, if I remember it rightly. Yeah, he's come straight from from backstage. It's different gravy. It's It's different gravy. uh, He's checking on William Regal um, as MJF's leaving, and commentary are doing the very solemn voice thing. (laughs) And Tony says, something needs to be done about this piece of shit. (laughs) Uh, it's quite a good one. It's. I mean, yeah. Oh my god! Right, it is a time of recording five to one UK time. I'll try and wrap this up before five past. I've got. I can't. I thought you were going to say five o'clock. <laughs> can't give you any guarantees, right? This was so goddamn good. You only watch something, and it could be a wrestling match, and it could be a film. So it's like the Akada match, of a professional wrestling promo slash angle where you think, how much is happening here? This must be the ninth minute and not much is happening. Mm. And my take on the Okada psychology is that he's so fantastic that what he does, and it works every single goddamn time, is that he very slowly and methodically, and the difference being to a Randy Orton or Triple H match is that it actually gets exciting at the end. <laughs> but for the first 10 minutes, it's glacier slow. Um, he slowly exerts just complete and utter dominance over his opponents so that by the 20th, 25th minute, the comeback registers unlike most other comebacks in wrestling because how good must you be to take that guy and how indomitable he is, how invincible he is to like a situation where there's loads of near falls. But for the first 10 minutes you think, is this that that good? When's this going to get going? But then you need those 10 minutes. You need those 10 minutes for the 35th to work, right? That was like this because for the first five minutes... By his usual, he's just won a world title. He's just won a world title. He should be rubbing it in our faces. I think he would have had we not wanted to cheer him. He knew strategically he had to do something here. And what he did was he cut. He just didn't show his charisma, really. There was a few good lines in here, but his voice was very low. His rhythm was very methodical here. He couldn't be charismatic and braggadocious because people have fallen in love with that aspect of his character, so he stripped it back, he stripped it back, he really stripped it back to the point where I'm thinking, he's been talking for quite some time here, this is unlike him. And then he dropped the Reign of Terror line, and I'm thinking, you magnificent bastard, <laughs> you're trying to like really do this on purpose, you're trying to make people say, oh, this is MGF's promo's a bit slow. Ah, uh, we are fickle, actually, because every other promo he's cut this year, 
has been the promo of his career and indeed the year. He scaled it back at the exact right time to where it's like you were like, am I getting a bit bored here? Or is this a, a notch below MGS promos? Because then he gradually wants you, oh, he's just manipulating you like a goddamn master here to get a little bit distanced from him. You're not like right up to the TV screen just enthralled with this man's charisma. You're almost sort of like fading out of it, if you like. And then he does this heat angle. You're like, right, okay, I was starting to prepare to hate you and now I really hate you now. Like an absolutely masterful performance of tone and rhythm and content. The only thing that didn't work for me was the fact that I think the uh, the belt looks rather elegant. <laughs> um, and then the cinematic quality of reciting the same line to Regal that Regal had recited to him was magnificent. And uh, one more thing before my final point is, can you remember the first thing he said to uh, John Moxley? I think it was before the Grand Slam Tournament of Champions had concluded. The very first thing he said to him was, you might have your demons, but you've faced nothing like a man with my brain. And now the master plan has revealed itself. Um, he has realized that William Regal has kind of harbored this sort of barely suppressed resentment about the fact that Regal was uh, Mox was the guy who effectively put him out to pasture, even if he wrestled subsequent to their yeah. rivalry. And he's, with his formidable brain, his diamond sharp brain, has realized that and then sort of played this little game with Regal, who was kind of receptive to it as a result. And then he's a snake and he's just knocked Regal off his perch. When was the last time in the 21st century for an entirely worked thing and they didn't, and they told you, by the way, that um, he couldn't lay a hand, no one could lay a hand on Regal. So at the most, I was thinking, can you remember when the Pinnacle beat up Di Malenko? Mm. And it was like, oh, we've beat him up. You couldn't see it, but we did it because yeah. you can't touch him for obvious natural reasons. Um, I thought that's what you might get out of this Regal thing, but the wrong footed here because they're absolutely geniuses. But the question, going back to the question, when was the last time you saw an atmosphere like that? With a millennial fan base in the 21st century where it was like, you can't do that. Is everything okay? Mm -hmm. That was, I don't know how you, they had no right to generate that atmosphere. That is incredible. Good matches, right? Are a dime a dozen. I get bored watching sometimes a great match. It's like, I need more than this. I've seen enough of this. It's like going to McDonald's like 50 times a week. <laughs> I'm so impressed by a great angle. I love a great angle more than like 90% of matches. This was a masterpiece of an angle. This I can't remember the last time I saw an atmosphere descend like this. It's particularly impressive because of where we were at last week, where the fans had absolutely no empathy for Regal to the point where they were starting to boo Brian for getting in the way of him yes. getting his head knocked yes. off, which I thought was so impressive. Regal is technically, other than Brian, a man without an ally in AEW now. You know, he screwed over his own guys in terms of Moxley and the Blackpool Combat Club. He's been decked by MJF, so there's nobody other than Brian because he's such an honourable figure. And because Regal spent an entire year putting him over more than any of them. This is it. This you know, company the, rules. There's so much realism that you can apply to this. You can start tracing back the fact that John Moxley showed... It wasn't a thick thing to do to show... Uh, give Regal one chance. It was that little bit of empathy that John Moxley has got buried with inside him that he was able to show, which differentiates Moxley from MJF. It differentiates everybody from MJF. The Regal stuff, there was that line in the, when Regal, when he was, uh, when he pushed over Tony Schiavone and he basically set up the match with Willie Utah, away from Ether and Utah, he dropped in this little line about how, and there's other stuff I think about William Regal, as if to draw Regal out of that 
big, like it was kind of an exposition dump, wasn't it, about the email and all that. Mm. He dropped that in that first week. So to your point, Cedric, that was after he'd said to Moxley, well, I, I've, there's other ways I can beat you this time around. And then he thinks, right, I'm going to put this plan in place. And then that's when he drops Regal's name, so that Regal is drawn into all of this world and now we get to where we're at now. So at all of this point, as a... As a wrestling fan, you're able to just enjoy the show being put in front of you as somebody, you know, and I'm assuming that's most listeners of this podcast that likes to think deeply about how all of this was crafted. You can trace it all back and visualize every step on the whiteboard, which is how you want to feel because it inspires faith. As always in this MJF character, CM Punk thing starting with a rejected handshake turns out to be the picture of Brian and Punk on Facebook and indeed the meet and greet there, which we could have never have seen either of those things come in. It was just Punk rejecting a handshake to where we get to. It's happening again with MJF and we're seeing it here. Uh, it was a, I felt something weird about where this was going to go. The second MJF didn't come out on a golden throne. Yeah. Honestly, like I'm watching it. Mm, where's this? I didn't, I wasn't going to project this. I just thought, right, what's the, what's the rub here? Like the, where's the gold throne? Where's, obviously it's his last, but where's the woman that he's going to neck on with all uh, the ropes? Yeah. All that sort of stuff. Where is it? Right. And then you see where it is. The reign of terror line was just fantastic because as Cedric pointed out, that's the bit where like the penny drops and we can all go, ah, I get it. So fantastic that he uses Reign of Terror in a promo where he's listing the worst champions ever and name drops Triple H as his mate. Yeah. Like to go for JBL and Jeff Jarrett and not, like Triple H is the missing piece of that, right? Because he's in a minute, he's going to go, my good buddy trips. Like he's the devil, he's a snake, he's all these things because he knows who the real Reign of Terror is. That's a nice detail for everybody to enjoy. There wasn't a thing not to love about all this because the freewheeling had a purpose. So it turns out that the bit where you were like, uh, where's this going? Well, it's going here. So it got there. So you no longer have to worry about the freewheeling. It was as it was as crucial, as Cedric articulated far better than I'm doing, it was as crucial to all the cool heat stuff at the end that you had all that first. Can you remember... Yesterday, I've, well, what I know, you skew more towards WWE, so you might need a video recap. <laughs> Can you remember yesterday? My podcast colleague, Adam Wilborn from Wacko. <laughs> Can you remember yesterday? Yes. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> I genuinely think Bristol, you were going to say something else then. I didn't realize you meant the entirety of yesterday. Well, what bit in it? <laughs> right. We. S- <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, actually. We sat down and you were like, going, right, okay. So the trick here is that, uh, well, the challenge here, rather, is that MGF wants to be a heel, Mm -hmm. right? No one can do this. John Cena couldn't be a a baby Mm -hmm. face again. Roman Reigns until 2020 couldn't be a baby face again. Cody Rhodes couldn't. First of all, MGF's done it. What a genius. Mm -hmm. But we were thinking how? Like, how can you possibly do it? What do you do to be a heel to this audience that's just desperate to cheer you, right? What is the thing that AEW fans hate the most? And what is an AEW fan? What is... An AW fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are, by and large, right, us, 37-year-olds, closer to 49 than 18 in the demo, and then when you realize that, you think, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Close, like, m- men. Do you see the, the data for last week's rating, by the way? Apparently, like, the highest male audience and the youngest women audience in 1849 they've ever done. Um, <laughs> no, we won't watch this. Oh, yeah. Like in comparatively fewer number, anyway. So they are. <laughs> Why is that? Why is I'll that? give you ten obvious reasons, actually. So, thirty-seven-year-old ex WWE fans who dropped off the wretched WWE product of the mid twenty tens at a rate far steeper than wider TV trends, thus enabling a competitor brand to exist in the first place. Right. So they're thinking, right, okay, well, 
Cornette hates all of this as a grift. Do we go that route? These AW fans, because they are so brand loyal, hate the guy who left the brand high and dry and criticised the people who made the brand, CM Punk. Hamlet will probably agree. I'm not sure about you. Other than your road dogs and your canes. Kane was more oppressive than road dog. The thing I hate more than anything in the world as your garden variety AEW freakazoid, 37-year-old disenchanted WWE fan is Triple H's f***ing reign of terror. Yeah. And he did it. He found the thing. Yeah. On every single what culture list, every other media list, like, what's the worst f***ing thing that's ever f***ing happened? It's that big reign of terror. <laughs> and he's doing it because he's the heel genius of the 21st century. Yeah. He's the best. It's fantastic. The best. I was so pleased as well. Um, the war of 2024 came up right here because it's just, it's it's not one of them things at this point, nor should it be really, but with the punk tees and everything getting washed away with CM Punk leaving, it couldn't be the uh, thing that nobody talks about but everybody's thinking about. It should be upfront. MJF, the character, shouldn't be, like that wrestling thing where, like right now, give you an example. In WWE, we're not supposed to be thinking about Becky Lynch is back and Ronda Rouse is a heel. Like, we are, but they don't want you to think about that right, right now. MJF wants you to think about that all the time. It's, it makes me more sense at the very start of his title reign. Effectively, the first night, he's saying, War of 2024, all of this is for all my cash. And if I can get more cash, like, the belt, he wants it to look nice, but he wants to wrestle as little as he can. He yeah, wants to I defend. Mean, you're going to get about six shots to take this off, mate. Yeah, it's money, it's power, it's status, it's all those things. So it's not about this, like... Uh, yeah, nobody's mentioned the uh, War of 2024 in a few weeks. I can't have a notion. It's October 2023. No, that's going to be in your face the entire time. And it's going to add stakes and heft to every title defense as a result as well. Every single challenger, not just for winning the world title, is going to be de facto somebody that is fighting to save AEW's soul, as of right now. And that's such a cool like add-on to every AMJF title match as well. It's brilliant. Uh, and one of the first challengers, of course, it, well, the first challenger, in fact, is going to be Ricky Starks. He was in action next against Ari Davari. But before that can begin, here comes the firm. Uh, Stokely Hathaway and Ethan Page come out, and I go, okay, here we go. Yeah, obviously, you know, Ethan Page has, has you know, had the fight with, with Starks, and he's pissed off, and now they've got the diamond ring thing, so he's probably going to be involved with that. And then suddenly, Matt Hardy's there. And honestly, <laughs> hand on heart, I went, what are you doing here? I had forgotten... Everything you turn up in Indianapolis with Matt Hardy, and they're gonna ask, What the hell is he doing here? Like, I was like, Oh, yeah, of course, the owning of them and the private party contract stuff, blah blah blah. And he's doing a delete, delete, delete. And Paige is like, Piss off, but you are gonna help me win the battle royal next week. And uh, well, something you're gonna point out, he thinks that they're cheering for a for Starks or MJF or something. He name drops MJF That's in it. this in this old AW world where MJF, the main mention of him was getting a pop. So Ethan Page is trying to stay on brand and in character and be like, uh, yeah, forget about that asshole. They're not popping for MJF. They're popping for man piss baby Matt Hardy walking backwards down the tunnel flipping the bird at Ethan Page. Behind the teacher's Get, back. Got him, guys. Yeah, exactly that, behind the teacher's back. Uh, and he said, "Jay from the in-betweeners himself, stealing one last pop, like he's stealing a fucking living." Paige says, uh, <laughs> "I'm calling my shot. I'm going to beat whoever wins out of you, Ricky and MJF." And then Ricky starts got attacked, immediately hits Spear and Rochambeau for the win. Right. What I had in mind. All right, cool. Ricky Starks has just won. Awesome. Ricky Starks versus MJF. 
could get the best promo exchanges of the year, right? That was what was the expectation, right? Expectation, reality, Matt Hardy. Right? <laughs> I, I understand they want to tell you that there are you know, several prospective winners of the Dynamite Battle Royale. There aren't. Mm. Matt Hardy better not win. You've just turned MJF heel again. Like, don't risk that. By having Mar- He's not going to win, but that's, yeah. I understand how these things work. They sometimes cater to the thickos, right? And they think, hey, guys, Matt Hardy might win. And the thickos might go, ooh. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's like, I've done it. So I understand why they do it, right? Even though I don't personally buy it. Michael Cedric, literal voice of the thickos. Ooh. <laughs> 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 right, right, on the preview next week, I'm going to run through everyone who's involved in the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal and go. Either, uh, either page, Ricky Stark, Matt Hardy. The thickos are in the V1 room. Where are they going to put the ring? So that's why they do it right. But I just, I think Tony Khan got a little bit high on himself thinking, I can tell loads of stories at once here. And it's like, yeah, you can. But if you tell a crap story on top of a good one, the good one starts smelling like crap. Yeah. So don't mink like this. To keep it simple with this Starks MGF stuff, you've completely overcomplicated and overthought it already. But um, I, I don't like doing this, but can I correct you? Go on. Because you said that. Yeah, Matt Hardy comes out and he goes, delete, delete, delete. Didn't do that though, did he? Right? Uh-huh. I, I'm going to degrade myself here. And I'm so sorry. But to convey the accuracy, Matt Hardy, in his desperate pursuit of a pop, because they're few and far between in 2022, let's face it. I'm going to do my thing that got us over, at this point, six years ago, actually. Like, you look pathetic, mate. I understand that you get a pop for this. I understand that you like getting a pop. You're a professional wrestler. You love the limelight, okay? Stop it. You were embarrassing yourself. I cringed so hard. What, what are you doing, man? Have some dignity. Uh, yeah. I, that was exactly what Hamlet said. I'm paraphrasing his office crack from earlier. No, but like all of this, everybody involved, it's not just my I completely heart. forgot about the indentured servitude angle, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? It just needs smart marks out there with a contract to complete the bingo card of things I hate on a dynamite. Like, I could this couldn't have been any worse in a way because like, I was already thinking, oh, it's like, what can follow this MJF thing? Nothing. Nothing can. Every, everything is going to feel mid, to use MJF's terminology. This was all of this was worse than mid. Everyone came out of this worse. Like, are they showing you another go? Like, Starks is going to lose to MJF. Are they showing me another go of Ethan Page and Ricky Starks? I don't want that either. Like, I, I, I don't. I think it was like a glimpse of the consolation prize that Starks <laughs> gets at the end of the year. Like, I, I didn't want any of this. So it was like, it was worse than mid, and it couldn't have looked even, like, everything was going to look bad in the shadow of that MJF segment. But, like... You know, do do what you normally do, Aiden. Send some women out there. Like this was like, don't have the wrestlers that are directly related. Like he's just mentioned the firm. He's just mentioned Ricky Starks. These are people that are theoretically in MJF's orbit, and nowhere near him. This was rubbish. Then mm. we did get into the women's section. We had a backstage interview with Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker, and Rebel. Uh, since Soraya is having a sit down with Renee Packet on Rampage, I believe. I don't know. Uh, Hayter's going to have a sit down with with Shivani, DMD. I thought this was inherently thick. Uh, Britt Baker, the, the, the point of this is Britt Baker is still a, a little bit angry on behalf of Jamie here, but we know that there's a few brewing there that Soraya's getting microphone time when they aren't. 
What are you doing right now? We <laughs> literally do. We want TV time on Dynamite to talk. You've got it. You could cut it short with your catchphrase or talk. Well, one thing I do like about the integrity of the idea that's a broadcast is that you just get wound down. They've yeah. established this. Yeah, you've, you've got a certain it. amount of time. You, the show's not up to you. You've got allocation. You've got time limits. You've got to, you can promote your match, but there is an actual main event booked, and if you're going to interfere with the time limit, you have to get wound down. Or you could just chase him off with a guitar and never actually hit him with it. That as well. That's fair. That's uh, fair. Then we got Willow Nightingale versus Anna JAS. Tay Mello, obviously, uh, in uh, Anna's corner. More on that in a little bit. Uh I just copy-paste what I say every time we talk about Willow Nightingale. She's great. I've got the ultimate compliment for Willow Nightingale here. Right. I'll get to it in a second, but I'll give you my thoughts on the match. I thought this was really quite dramatic and well done. Mm. Like, I was biting on the finisher reversals. Look, heel Jade Cargill, I think we'll get to that. And (laughs) heel, for now, um, Jamie Hayter. You knew that the way these things work, that Willow was going to win. Yes. But she made me care so much about her performance because she's just lovely and amazing and effervescent and everything else that I thought, oh, she's not going to win. Mm. That's brilliant character work. That's being over. That's knowing how to pace a match and everything like that. That is connection with your audience. I knew she was going to win. I was worried that she wasn't going to. And I thought that it was really quite well worked as well. Mm. Like she went splat Anna J A S on certain moves. It was very, very cool indeed. I love it when Anna J has a good night. Yeah. She's a very difficult wrestler to figure out. But then I keep going back to this. Like the cage match profile is one page long. Yeah. So like sometimes, obviously it doesn't go so well. Other times, it's quite frankly remarkable how brilliant it is. But I think she's quite a fascinating wrestler to track as a yeah. result. She always brings, you don't know what you're going to get, but when it's good, it's kind of amazing that it's as good as it is. This is, I genuinely, I thought was trending in that direction. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate compliment, I'm going to pay Willow Nightingale, um, who, by the way, should do the losers, she should do the Kabashi arc and culminate in a title win next year. Like, absolutely, because that's how good she is. She reminds me of Eddie Kingston when she's in that ring. Completely different style, completely different personality, but at her core, it really feels like she's living every second in the moment and Mm. every single thing means loads and loads and loads to her and I just find it such a remarkable skill and it just makes her feel so authentic. It's like she's not even putting it on. It's like that's the real awesome person that you're watching in there. I think she's amazing. I love her theme tune. I love her act. Like her stuff looks like it kills like, I love, love Willow Nightingale. Mm. Desperate for her to get belted next year. It, it does feel like they know what they're doing with her as well, doesn't it? I know they don't tell stories as such. There's no angle to speak of. But you can you can track the results to know that that's where it's headed. You feel it, I think, when she comes out. And she's already been such a good title loser, like we were saying yesterday, that she's she's perfected that spot. So the only thing left to do after perfecting that spot is going the rest of the way. Yeah, and it's it's not, and I love her, but it's not the same as Nyla Rose. You're just like, oh, well, that's not going to happen again. Like, she's had a title win and now she's automatically, oh, you've got first title defence or whatever it may be. It's all crucially different, isn't it? Because it's almost sad when Nyla Rose gets the shot and you know where it's going. Um, but yeah, uh, early on, she Nightingale dominated early on, missed a charge in the corner, and Jay took over with a spin kick and a blockbuster takes to commercial. When we come back, yeah, Jay hits a kick, and then this slam. It was ridiculous. It looked amazing. Uh, and that got... Oh, my God. Yeah, quite right. And uh, that got a great reaction from the crowd when Willow kicked out. Uh, she gets out the Queen Slayer as well, knocks Mellow up the apron, uh, and hits Anna Jay with the Doctor Bomb for the one, two, three. Um celebrates, leaves. Tay Mello's in there helping Anna Jay to her feet and whose music should hit but a returning Ruby Soho uh, who, of course, wants to get her revenge 
on Tay Mello for shattering her nose on zero hour of All Out. All Out. Yeah. All out. Yes, uh, a few like, months back. You know how you forget about all of that show because of the punk stuff? That was like the first thing yeah. on it. Seven hours, yeah. like seven hours before Punk did that, you had the pre-show and it's like, God, can that possibly have been on the same night? How is this possible? Uh, so Tay Mello tries to get out of there, but uh, Soro catches up with her and hits Destination Unknown on the ramp as Taz sings along with her theme. Great to see her back. It was, you know, I like didn't I wasn't that high on Ruby Soho's run, but um she does have a certain charisma that generates a response. Uh not to be cruel, but until one too many uh, indifferent matches erode it, but the time away has made people forget that as it should. And she comes back, it's not heavy heat angler or anything, but you remember that there's some sort of emotion attached to her thing with Tamello. That's nothing more than a TV match, but it's a great reinstruction for Ruby Soho. And if the matches are better this time around, you'll start getting the reactions you got when she first arrived. I thought this was decent, and I wouldn't have... When she was out injured, I wasn't thinking, oh, I can't wait for Ruby Soho to come back and get a revenge on Tamello. So it's kind of been quite a nice surprise as well. Yeah. One final thing to left to do then. It's time to play the game! And uh, what is... I've had enough of you. What is the name of that game, Michael Sidgwick? No, I wanted to protect the book. Oh, okay, sorry. The name of the game we played every single week. We want to guess the hour, minute, second of the first time you hear the first women's theme tune for the only women's match on the show. Because if we get it as close as possible every single time, it will shine a much necessary and harsh light on the apathetic way in which there is no representation, really, in this company, and the name of the game, of course, is Well, this is Lady's Name. I'm thinking, no, shout as always to Adam Blair <laughs> at Adam Wilton4 on Twitter for keeping all the uh, oh god, that's unprofessional, not the statistics, not the numbers. Data, thank you, Michael Sidgwick. Um, what uh, what times did we say yesterday, Sidge? In descending order. <laughs> I was going to do this stuff as well. In order. <laughs> in yeah, in order. Um, Hamlet went one hour, 17 minutes, 16 seconds. Sidgwick went one hour, 20 minutes and 20 seconds. And Wilborn went one hour, 21 minutes and 22 seconds. Well, I definitely haven't won. Uh, <laughs> but who's winning out of the Dadleys? Um, not quite as good as your prediction last week, Hamlet, where you were like six seconds off. Um, but another W for the Ham. Uh, Michael Hamflet moves to six correct guesses on the year. Joining Michael Sidgwick, in fact, on six correct guesses. Yeah. Uh, myself on eight. Congratulations, two and two. Thanks very much. It's because uh, Tony Khan's getting better again. Uh, and the last time he was an awesome booker, I took an L every week because NXT was getting his ass kicked. So just like, <laughs> if Tony Khan's going to keep this run up, just stamp me down for that time every week. Yeah. And it will fit in exactly place because he kind of, when he's operating at peak... The women suffer, actually. So yeah. like the, he's operating a peak. He really books the men well. He really does. He's got his uh, Danny Deals jacket back. <laughs> <laughs> it was all in one small yes. window of time. But he got women over, Ty. Yeah. This is a good, the it women was. got themselves over, obviously. Yeah. He gave them the platform for the women to get mm. over. Always need to check yourself on things like that. Uh, there was a video package highlighting the return of the House of Black. QT Marshall's there. Did he do well to get them over? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just take a second? Praise <laughs> Tony Khan for Willow Nightingale's progress. <laughs> Uh, there's a video package on House of Black and then QT Marshall's there with Orange Cassidy and very quickly Orange Cassidy goes yep cool uh, what, all night in the title match yeah and he's like well actually I want an all night title match as a lumberjack match. he's like yep great fine see you then one of my favourite bits in wrestling it's this. good this isn't it how do you make the fighting champion gimmick 
casual for Orange Cassidy. I pop every single time at this. They have to find ways to extend the length of the challenges so that Orange Cassidy can cut them off. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a brilliant, a brilliant bit. Like, I loved it when it was three ways. Yeah, another trip for that. Yeah, fine, see you later. Walks off, done. Like, QT Marshall getting what he wants and still being frustrated is patter. Yeah. Because he's great at selling it with his face. Like, I... I love this. It's great, isn't it? Honestly, brought Genuinely such a smile tremendous. on my face. Yeah, absolutely. So from one thing we love, uh, to Jake Cargill's championship celebration. Oof. Um, <laughs> you made a very good point before I go any further. Not much of a celebration, was it? She's wadded. She's a millionaire. She's like literally wearing money. She's the, like, the, everybody wants to be around her because like you just, you get rich in personality, if not in actual wealth. A table and six balloons. You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> So she comes out with the baddies, talks about retaining the TBS title. Chris Jericho would never. Yes. Would yeah. never. Uh, and uh, he talks, Jay talks about getting rid of the trash last week when she got through. She fired Kiera Hogan. Uh, and then she's like, um, why did I see you guys hanging out with them on social media uh, this week? And they all look a little bit awkward. Red Velvet's just like, doesn't know what to do with herself. Was this a shoot? Because like Red Velvet's I, face, is, she didn't know what's my direction here. <laughs> Like, she's literally holding the belt. Yeah, we're the baddies. Are we? I th- what's going on? I thought they were hinting at a turn. Like, they were uh-huh. kind of getting fed up with Jade's stuff. Yeah. Go through the segment and I'll bury it and then we'll come move on. <laughs> <laughs> she says, either get in line or leave because you eat off me. Um, she brags about how awesome she is, how she makes careers. And she says, speaking of careers, actually, little Bow Wow's a joke. And then guess who pops up on the screen, Hamlet? <laughs> So fake. Oh, mate, it's, ba- it's Bow Wow. It was, ba- it was a video from Bow Wow who says, I'm done with my tour. Bow oh, Wow's in a room. Wait, stop there. He <laughs> points at a camera that is suddenly there. Put a dynamite graphic around this camera. Yeah. I've got something to say. And he says, I'm done with my tour. I'll be around soon. That title does, does something to me. And then they just go, right, cool. Celebration's over then. That was it. It was so just like, ah. Oh. So fake. And I had no idea what they're doing here. I, I, like I like to think that I can understand like a lot of the the moves associated with the elite. Some of the subtext Kenny Omega usually uses in his matches. I don't I don't think I've ever understood the baddies. I get it as a concept. Um The worst thing about this is I Jade Cargill, even by her standards, looked like a goddamn superstar. Mm. And she cut Either side of a load of complete and utter bollocks, like a pretty great heel promo where you f- con- were convinced again that she's an absolute star. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, God, you talk so good. You're amazing at this. Mm. I receive you as a star. And then the second it becomes less about the original incarnation of the Jade Cargill character, which you did well to harness here, even though it's not as credible as it used to be. What, what were the baddies' faces looking like? Are they going to turn on her? Is it necessarily a good idea to turn on Jade Cargill, which would kind of make it a baby face in that weird, not great way that wrestling can work sometimes, when she's cutting the heel promo of her life at the same time? And why do I care about Bawa when there's not going to be an agenda match, so he's going to represent someone who's probably going to lose to Jade Cargill? It, it looked like rubbish. Was Bawa doing an MJF, and he's like, I've got somebody lined up, and it's Red Velvet. And that's why Red Velvet didn't know what face, because she's doing the William Regal bit, and she's going to be the one that's going to turn on Jade Cargill to try and... I'll take Cargill that's Velvet again. in yeah. the TBS title. because definitely got, take Cargill Velvet again. They've got lore, haven't they? They've got chemistry as well. Out the yes, out yeah. the yes. So is that, is that what... But it just played out so badly here. Because... And what a waste of that Jade Cargill attire. Like, 
unbelievable gear that she got lined up for this deserved a better segment. She should wear it to wrestling or something like that. Do you think a promo was great? I thought a promo was great. It was good, but I'm just finding it really unfocused. This bollock in the body oh, no, thing. The, the bit that was focused on herself as opposed yeah. to everything Fantastic, else yeah. Because yeah. she's got, from day one, she's had that, like, the same thing happened in the very first promo, didn't it? You know, it kind of went a bit all over the shop, but just when she was putting herself out, it was like, that's class and you look awesome. Yeah. Mm. This can't fail, but there's no obvious direction. Oh, it's failing. It's failing. Yeah. I just like the fact that it was just like, Bow Wow appeared, and normally so you go, IRL, you go, well, that's a bit weird. Anyway, on with this celebration, but they went... Well, Bow Wow's had his say. Pack it up. Time to go home. Yeah. The man has told us to stop. Yeah. Uh-huh. Died in the building as well. Aye. Uh, say what didn't die. The acclaimed. They're getting drilled in the back by Major Gunn. By Billy Gunn, of course. Uh, they haven't got a match this week. Um, and uh, they're going to give a tag team title shot to the best team in AW on Rampage. I didn't, couldn't work out if this meant they're wrestling on Rampage or they're just going to announce who they're facing on Rampage. Don't know. Anyway. The, the latter. The graphic came up. I thought it was a match, and then the graphic confirmed it was ah, okay. they're just going to announce their opponent. Um, and Gunn says, well, so it'd have to be FTR, wouldn't it? It's yeah. not going to be. This is my, this yeah. is my other <laughs> It really should be FTR. I think they're going to wrong foot you, because that's they want you to think it's FTR. Yeah. Wouldn't it be like the Chris Jericho thing? And then the baby faces. I will wait to let it play out. Well, technically, they're not giving the shot to the best tag team on in AEW, of course. Because they're Gunn, the best tag Because Gunn was like, how are you going to do that? You're the best. And like, good point. Uh, and then he goes, uh, right, there's only one thing left to do. This is a potentially weird way of making you think, oh, well, it must be FTR. Oh, it's not FTR. It's a shame. I want the FTR match to happen. And guess what's going to happen at Revolution, assholes? Mm. Uh, baffled. A lot of baffling stuff on this otherwise great show, wasn't there? I like I like scissoring again. This popped me this week. I, I like, I've been a bit off the acclaim and I really enjoyed this. First thing I did when we walked into the office this morning. Yeah. Scissored everyone. Everyone. Made about time. The Elite <laughs> The triangle of the magic. Best of seven. I don't know why I did that. Best of seven. <laughs> he did actually says to everyone in his vicinity yeah, yeah. in the uh, in the office this morning. It was definitely everything to do with that segment. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, we've had all the carry on my way with death triangle in the beginning. Yeah, it is annoying, isn't it? I agree. But death sufferable. Shut up, man. This is going to be a fight. You like Kansas? Their own I, don't, fine, I don't like the fine, song, actually. Fine. I loved it at Full Gear. Loved it. I've said that, to be fair, you asked for consistency from me. I would say it about anybody. does like make me cringe inside out when they sing it on the way to the ring. That's like just a, a thing. I've I would have done it once, yeah, personally. Because they, they were buzzing to finally have it because yeah, they wanted yeah. it. Are you saying don't carry on my way with her? Right, they're trying to make an entrance. Elite, like we're not having this. Boom, jump them. They fight in the ramp. And uh, do you want to press the button? Actually, wait a second. Yeah, do you want to press the button? Oh my god, (laughs) Jesus Christ! This wasn't just like right. I'm going to club you slightly around the back, and we're slowly going to walk down to the ring together. I thought the match wasn't going to happen at one point. Uh, Pat gets sent face first into the entrance. Omega hits him with a Kataro Crusher. Um, Pack also, I think, got held for a V-trigger by the books on the ramp. Uh, but Pack countered that with a super kick, and the Lucha Bros uh, take out the books with some somersault cutters. They're brawling all over the entranceway. Match hasn't started. Pack hits a moonsault up the stage. Books hit Penta and Phoenix with power bombs on the apron. Then they get in the ring, and then the bell rings. What I loved about this, right, is that it gives a distinct identity, an instant heat to the match, which is always going to get heat, but it gives a distinctive identity to this match, which when we all look back on it, you can go, oh, the CM Punk match, oh, the one with the 
crazy brawl and the wild aerials off the stage and onto the floor. And the first match was the establishing classic iteration of this um, like match and genre sort of thing. They, with this layout, all, not only did they give it its own unique identity, they made it a different match for some of it, not all of it, is that they didn't give the audience time to talk about CM Pink, CM Pink, CM Punk, <laughs> yes, one way or the other. It's the fashionable thing where I honestly believe they would have got FCM Punk chance, and they kind of killed two birds with one stone, two different thoughts at the same time, and thought we do this one, it'll you know be a bit different, and they won't have time to even talk mm-hmm, or think mm-hmm. about CM Punk because they were just so immediately wrapped up in the action. So I thought the introduction was very clever, and the power bomb spot. I loved Kenny Omega saying. We've kicked their arse now. Let's get the actual match counted before we kick them too hard and it'll just get called off sort of thing. So, And the referee immediately got taken out by, uh, I think it was Matt Jackson's super kick. Penta takes out the elite with a somersault and Abrahantes gets involved and hands Penta the hammer. He's going to use it again to get the victory for the team, but Ray Phoenix gets involved, stops it. They get into it, they shove each other, uh, and Omega hits Phoenix, who's trying to help him. And with a V-trigger, uh, Penna eats a double super kick and a snapdragon uh, before Omega nails him as well. Um, the Elite has some miscommunication for their own as well. Um, Omega gets hit with a double corner kick. Uh, there's dives from Death Triangle. Uh, Penna hits Omega with a fear factor for a near fall. Um... Pack is fighting Omega, and they, he uses his mask to headbutt him and hit an avalanche falcon arrow for a near fall. Phoenix tries to double crossbody the books who catch him and hit him a more bang for your book to get them a near fall. Uh, Pack and Penta stop the BTE trigger. Omega fight, fights both of them off. Phoenix flies in with a rolling cutter. Um, double stomp fear factor on Nick. Lucha Bros take out Omega and Matt on the outside, and you think, oh, my God, they're going to go 3-0 down. Um Nick gets hit with a brain buster from Pac, but only uh, Pac can only get a two count. Nick and Omega have been held from ba- making the save as Pac goes for a black arrow. But Matt gets his knees up, rolls Pac up, and Omega this time is the one stopping anyone from interfering. One, two, three. The Young Bucks, uh, the Elite, I should say, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega get the victory. 2-1, as we called on the preview. Uh, and there's still time for Omega to uh, grab the mic, says there's not going to be sweep. There's going to be a reverse sweep, in fact, actually, because uh, I'm the cleaner. And he gets to do his goodbye and good night, which I haven't heard in a long, old time. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, my goddamn cack, yeah. Not the best of the series. I don't want to say the worst because that, like, indicates it's bad. It wasn't. It was a great match. It's a and high bar, isn't it's it? It's a high yeah. bar. And they had a different approach to it this time. I thought it was fantastic for the reasons outlined. There was once, I don't know how they actually did this because I can't remember. All I remember thinking was, it's so amazing how you've arrived at this um, finisher attempt from that position, but the way they set up for the Meltzer driver I thought was particularly great, and how when that failed, how they really organically got to more bang for your buck, yeah. which is another move that they've not done yet. That was great. In terms of the start, one more thing to add is that they were desperate. They really needed to go out the gates. If you imagine it like um, an actual sporting fixture in professional football, if you're losing 2-0 in a game... You can't sit back and defend. You have to just go hell for leather on the attack, relentless. Otherwise, you're screwed. Because it barely matters if you concede one more. Like, you have to score goals at this point. You That's have right, to, Wales. 
Yes, exactly, Wales. <laughs> Wales. You have to put the ball in the back of the goddamn net. And what did the elite do to start off this match? They tried to put the ball in the back of the goddamn net. And it's just the principles of sporting drama, even if it's not the most realistic ring style, which of course it isn't, but the principles of sporting drama... There's no one better than Kenny Omega at this. There just isn't. He's absolutely outstanding at this. So I love that aspect of it. I tell you, it, it wasn't as spectacular as the first, and it wasn't as just gonzo outrageous as the second. So it was going to suffer as a result. One more criticism. Um, Not for the first time this series. I think it happened in the first one. Phoenix and Nick Jackson got a bit lost, mm. and they kind of looked at each other awkwardly, which took me out of it, as if to say to each other, Brother, you've missed something here, or what What do we do? They've got the best chemistry out of, like, I don't know how many permutations of the six men there are, but they've got the best chemistry, so it's weird that they've got this a bit wrong more than once. Um, I love Kenny Omega, so I wanted this to happen on the preview yesterday. He did, in fact, take the German, but he realized, like, I need to get up from this, so he used everything he had to try and, like, attack Pack after taking it. So there is some storyline continuity there. Um the angle of the hammer of stuff, of course, is getting advanced because it's going to be their undoing at this point because they're over-reliant on it. But in a great mirror moment to that, that sort of looked like a, a firework when three of them went off the same post with the yeah. moonsault. When they're in sync, they're still a great unit, but they're not on a sort of personal wavelength or an attitude wavelength at this point in They've time. They've forgotten what they won matches with before they had the hammer. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um... And the Kenny Omega during the finish was just absolutely sensational. But it just didn't give me the same exhilarating feeling as the first two matches. And I think they were wise to do a week off because I want to miss this to savour it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I did need a week off from it. The, it's the, the layout that I want to put over, really, because I wasn't terribly into it Like once they, got in, once they got it in the ring. But that visual signifier... Uh, kind of makes you realise that every match is going to have a visual signifier. Now they're all, like, doesn't it doesn't matter what you think of the matches individually, but you cannot you can separate one from another from another. That's really hard to do in a seven-match series, and they've just, it's quite simple now it's happened, but you wouldn't have projected it beforehand. You wouldn't mm. have thought, well, what, actually, this needs to start before the bell and have this crazy brawl. This will be the crazy brawl on the ramp match, and now the fun thing to speculate on the next one is what's going to be the visual signifier there, what's going to distinguish that fourth one. Because I thought the in-ring was like... It felt a step slower, which you could, in kayfabe, say was because they just beat the dog out of each other on the ramp. Um, mm. So that's justification for this all being a little bit like less exhilarating, to use Sidgwick's word. Um, but then I wondered if that was just me. Because I get like that sometimes with these matches when I feel like I'm just consuming empty calories. That takes me out of being able to like look at the story beats and look at the little sequels and the callback stuff. Because I don't feel like I'm being instructed to look for them. It's funny you mention that. I watch Kenny Omega like a hawk. One, because I'm just obsessed with him. Two, I'm a bit anxious about how back he really is. And my conclusion is that they are saving something for the final matches because I know how quickly he can move. I sort it all out. I sort it full gear. The last two matches, the first one was really high on entertainment value where he didn't really have to do much but, like, take the piss. He's kind of in a different gear and he's got, like, at least two to go up um, for like the fifth, sixth, and seventh matches. So that's how you build a match and how you should also build a series of matches. You don't go your most explosive and fast like until you get to the finish and it's frantic. So I think the brawl was their version of, right, this is how we can add some distinctiveness to this one. 
but Kenny Omega is going to explode. <laughs> Doesn't he hasn't exploded properly yet? But that comes at the end. I will say, I uh, said goodbye and good night, bang to the telly, back to him, and giggled as he was doing it because yeah. I, love, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, like I love him. So I say to Cedric, I whinge about this too often, to be honest. Actually, that like. I love that they're effectively wrestling hobbyists that have built their own platform, but like Kenny Omega to me is a mega serious single star and he doesn't take that role in wrestling seriously enough. So just to have that little moment mm. was pretty great. Like made me remember Osprey the Dome really soon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let us know your thoughts on AW Dynamite <laughs> on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Myself and Hamlet are going to be answering your wrestling questions a little bit later on today. Uh, and me and Sid will be back tomorrow to preview AEW Red Blade, baby. Uh, but for now, it's been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.